0: Have,
1: uh, Victoria. Now that we've got your attention... Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s with yours truly, Glenn Robison. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more on everything from aeolian to Xenophone and by everyone from Aronson to Xerky. On this evening show, we're going to take a musical trip to Scotland, enjoy some scotch, kick the bucket, and go spelunking. Oh, and the third segment is going to be a real drag. I've played the girlfriend of a boyfriend of mine only five times on the show, thrice by Ted Weems, and once each by Lou Gold and Tom Coakley. Well, tonight we're starting off the show with Burt Ambrose's version, and I'll tell you why when it's over.
2: Me with her glances her kisses were like one
1: Ambrose and his orchestra at the Mayfair Hotel, London, on October 13, 1930, with a girlfriend of a boyfriend of mine. That was written by Gus Kahn and Walter Donaldson and is from the Sam Goldwyn Florence Ziegfeld picture Whoopee, starring Eddie Cantor. The vocal was by Sam Brown with the trio The Three Genks, Eric Handley, Ivor Robinson, and Jack Joy. They started out as instrumentalists, Handley playing drums. Robinson playing saxophone, and Jack Joy on piano, and were occasionally featured as vocalists, but in 1933 they decided to concentrate on singing full-time. So why did I play that record, other than because it's just a nice record? Well, last week a listener asked for my take on one particular line in the lyrics. This one.
3: She thrilled me
2: with her glances, her kisses were like wine.
0: But she turned out to be a close friend of a Scotch friend of mine.
1: She turned out to be a close friend of a Scotch friend of mine. Now, according to Brewer's dictionary, the three adjectives Scotch, Scottish, and Scots all mean belonging to, native of, or characteristic of Scotland. The difference has to do with their application. When you're referring to the literature, character, or ancestry of the people of Scotland, it's generally correct to describe them as Scottish. The word Scotch, when applied to Scotch whiskey and Scotch beef, is legally protected and subject to regulation. Scots, on the other hand, refers to a language with a number of local varieties and is distinct from Scottish English or Scottish Gaelic. Scots is also used to describe the only pine tree native to Northern Europe – pinus sylvestris, or the Scots pine. Getting back to the line in the song, a Scotch friend of mine, the listener was asking if I agreed that the lyricist was not referring to the friend as someone from Scotland, but rather that the line was an ethnic slur implying cheap or stingy. Well, according to Word Wizard, Scotch was a pejorative term synonymous with stingy used by the English since the 17th century, and was in widespread use in the U.S. in the 1920s. And in fact, it's that meaning whence came the brand name of the adhesive tape invented by 3M engineer Richard Drew in 1930. Before enrolling in the mechanical engineering program at the University of Minnesota, Drew pursued a musical career as a banjo player and toured with local dance bands for a number of years. He never got an engineering degree either, by the way. And there, as Paul Harvey would say, you have the rest of the story. And so for the rest of this segment, I've got a set of rapidly rotating records having to do with Scotland.
4: From the mob in Scotland, are they still saving their dough? And tell me, has Sandy McCullish a job? What do you hear from the mob? And when they sing Bonnie Annie Laurie. Tell me, do their knees still show? And are there burdens the need of a bar? What do you hear from the mob? Now I haven't heard, haven't heard Not a word from the lad that I left so long ago Won't you tell me Is she still in search of marriage If she is back there I'll go Just tell her There's no need to sob and to cry What do you hear From the mob in Scotland What do you hear from the mind.
1: Benny Goodman and his orchestra recorded Riffin' the Scotch as an instrumental on December 4, 1933, but it was unissued. A couple of weeks later, they tried it again with the vocal refrain by Billie Holiday, and that's the effort we heard, issued on Columbia 2867. Riffin' the Scotch was written by Goodman, Dick McDonough, Johnny Mercer, and F.L. Buck. Before that, vocalist Chuck Richards, with Fletcher Henderson and his orchestra, was asking the musical question... What do you hear from the mob in Scotland? That's from Vocalion 4167, recorded in Chicago on May 28, 1938. But we're not quite ready to leave Scotland. Here's George McFarlane. For the thousands,
5: Years ago or more that the heel and fling began, When a four and four danced heel and pole When they met the Scottish man, How the wagpipes sang and the claymore rang as the Scotchman showed them how to fight, How foremen dropped the Scotchman's cough to fling them left and right. Down through the hand there came the mighty fighting clan doing the heel and the fling. Wondering whether they could meet the fighting man, ready at him to spring. Then all together, dancing home and hand in hand, doing the thing up grand. And before they met, I think they must be running yet from Scotland. Down through the heather came the mighty fighting man, doing the hail and fling. Wondering whether they should meet the fighting man, ready at him to spring. Then all together, dancing home and hand in hand, doing the thing up grand. And before they met, I think they must be running yet from Scotland. the lad loved the bunny lass and the lassie loved him too but her father said you canna wait till the laddie owns the coo so the laddie told her if you dare we will run away to a kirk somewhere then tell your dad no coo i had but i won you straight and fair <clears throat> down to the a gayly lad the lassie came hoping a kirk to find Wondering whether he could ever change her name, trouble was close behind. Soon came her feather, turned around the centre name, spoiling the fun they planned. And the lad he knew, he's saving up to buy a coup in Scotland. Down through the hens are a gayly lad, and lassie came, hoping a clerk to find. Wondering whether he could ever change her name, trouble was close behind. Soon came her fails, panderoons sent her him spoiling the fun they planned. And the lad knew It's saving up to buy a coup in Scotland.
1: The Missourians, August 21, 1929, and Scotty Blues from Victor 38084. The title may be Scotty Blues, but that tune has nothing whatsoever to do with Scotland. It was written by clarinetist in the band, George W. Scott. Before that, however, we were in Scotland with Canadian born stage and screen actor and singer, George Jarvis McFarlane, born November 17, 1878, in Canada. He performed in comic operas, musical comedies, and as a solo artist, and was billed as America's favorite baritone. He was on his way to attend the premiere of his latest movie in Hollywood when he was struck and killed by an automobile as he was crossing a street on February 22, 1932. In Scotland was recorded by Victor on April 24, 1916, and issued under catalog number 45097. The song is from the Scottish play Heart of the Heather by Glenn MacDonough. It was composed by Theodore F. Morse with the words by George MacFarlane, who starred in the play, which was staged in Indianapolis and Boston, but not on Broadway. The Harvard Crimson described it as a clean, wholesome comedy of Scottish life, with MacFarlane playing a rollicking soldier of fortune. We've been having a slew of composers getting birthday salutes for the first time, and you can add Theodore F. Morse to that list. You'll be hearing more from him on the April 19th show.
6: This is FM 88.7 Avalon, and you're listening to Glenn Robison's Rapidly Rotating Records, toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s. ¶¶
1: Last week, I played Song of Omar, written by Leo Edwards, and played by Harry Raderman's jazz orchestra. The name Omar always reminds me of the very famous restaurant Omar Khayams, opened by George Mardikian in San Francisco in 1947. Located below street level at Powell and O'Farrell, it was a favorite of my dad's in the 1960s, and he would visit any time his work took him to the area. I had the pleasure of dining there at least once as a teenager and remember being greeted by Mr. Mardikian and struck by the exotic surroundings. Of course, the restaurant's namesake was the 11th century Persian mathematician, astronomer, philosopher, and poet, Omar Khayyam. But what you may not realize is that Omar Khayyam had a cave. That's right. And Leslie Holmes is about to tell you all about it as he starts off a set of rapidly rotating records about caves.
3: Arms, arms for the love of Allah, and legs for the love of Mike. Stink kidney they put two veg a la carte. On the Persian desert there's a cave. That's where hidden treasures lay. Omar Khayyam's such a cunning name. From boy scouts captured it one day. There's rest for weary caravans. By the door a notice hangs. A good pull up for charabangs in Omar Khayyam's cave. Incense burns, the nostrils fill. Incense, no, by Allah's will. It's steak and onions on the grill in Omar Khayyam's cave. He's not a Persian, no, his name is really Mo. Comes all the way from Bo, a wise man from the east They excavated, dug the ground, dug so deep at last they found A London train on the underground in Omar Khayyam's cave Once a leper took it for his den Kicked up such an awful din Mrs. Omar now looks lovely when she walks out in that leopard's skin. A pretty girl with eyes of blue, your fortune, she starts telling you. You go inside and it all comes true in Omar Khayyam's cave. One young chap who called it spoof got a kick from a camel's hoof. Then he went sailing through the roof of Omar Khayyam's cave. They've searched since days of old, life's mysteries to behold. They found a tomb of gold, a ninepence in half-crowns. From a desert storm you hide, your wet clothes are quickly dried. They hang them up with you inside in you know, Omar Khayyam's cave. mats stroke the persian cats then you see persian rats and snakes and ladders too his favorite slave they call a bab stands on view on a marble slab they often have a smash and grab in omar kiam's cave
2: Hey son, give me my overall jumper there. Give me my overalls too. What you gonna do with them, boy? Boy, I'm going down in the coal mine. Coal mine? What you gonna do down there? I'm gonna do like the rest of the cavemen. The rest of the cavemen? Yeah, give me my pick and shovels here. What you gonna do with this? I've got to dig when I get into mine. Got to dig when you get into mine? Yeah, and give me my ladder. That is right behind the door. Now I'm gonna tell you what the cavemen do. Let's hear about it. Mr. Caveman, don't go on your Bad habit Digging in every dark you know a clean-faced man Mm -hmm. don't go in no
1: In and his orchestra with Cavernism, recorded September 13, 1934, and issued on Decca 183. Cavernism was written by Hines and Jimmy Mundy, who played tenor sax in the band, and also wrote that arrangement. They named the piece for a nightclub called the Crystal Caverns, which opened in 1926 in the basement of the Davis Store at 2001 11th Street at U Street in Washington, D.C., The club featured an extensively detailed cave-oriented interior, complete with stalactites, stalagmites, sculptured pillars, and flowstone. While all the other D.C. clubs closed at midnight, the caverns stayed open into the early morning hours. Before cavernism, it was the Memphis Jug Band with caveman blues. Charlie Bozo Nickerson, pianist in the band, provided the vocal on that May 21, 1930 recording, made in Memphis, Tennessee. Caveman Blues was written by Will Shade and Charles Pope. Leslie Holmes was one half of the singing team The Two Leslie's along with Leslie Cerrone. We heard him all by himself with Omar Khayyam's Cave, written by Frederick Cliff and Harry Gifford, the same team who brought us When I'm Cleaning Windows, recorded by George Formby. Holmes was credited on the label of that 8 inch Eclipse 78, number 374, as Roy Leslie. It was recorded February 1st, 1933, and the orchestra was directed by Jay Wilbur. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records. We're here each and every Sunday evening at 6 on Island Radio, FM 88.7, KISL Avalon, and KISLAvalon.com. This and all our previous shows are also available 24-7, on demand, anytime at all, online at RapidlyRotatingRecords.com. And we're on all the major podcast directories. This segment is going to be a major drag. The Panama-Pacific International Exposition was held in San Francisco from February 20th to December 4th, 1915, and its purpose was to celebrate the completion of the Panama Canal. There were lots of songs written about the exposition, and I played one of them last year, San Fran Pan American" by the Victor Military Band. That's right, on the July 28th show. Well, Leo Edwards, whose birthday we celebrated in the first segment of last week's show, wrote a song about the exposition, titled Panama Pacific Drag. I was going to play it last week, but ran out of time. It was recorded as a Sembilum solo by Joseph Moskowitz, accompanied on piano by Edward T. King, on February 4, 1916, a couple of months after the exposition closed, and was issued on Victor 17978. The symbolum is a musical instrument composed of a large trapezoidal box with metal strings stretched across its top and is commonly found in Hungary and neighboring countries. Symbolist Joseph Moskowitz was born in 1879 in Romania and was the son of a symbolist. Yes, it does sound like an insult, doesn't it? You son of a symbolist. Here's Leo Edwards, Panama Pacific Drag. and his Greens of Corn with Smoke Shop Drag from Vocalion 1269, recorded in Chicago, February 9th, 1929. As it happens, Lewis Russell has been getting a lot of play on the show lately, and before Junie Cobb, we heard him again with Saratoga Drag from Vocalion 1579, recorded December 17th, 1930. Before that, Barrel House piano player Hervé Duerson with his piano solo, Easy Drag, one of four sides issued on Jeanette from a session in Richmond, Indiana on August 28, 1929. And you'll be hearing more about and from Hervé Duerson on the April 12th show when he gets his very own birthday segment. We started off that drag of a set with symbolist Joseph Moskowitz and Panama Pacific Drag.
6: Claremont, California,
0: 91711.
1: On Jeopardy! show number 8162, which aired Tuesday, February 18th, there was an entire category in the Jeopardy! round dealing with buckets, and the $400 answer was, In 1785, Gross's Dictionary of the Vulgar Tongue, defined this phrase as to die. Of course, the correct Jeopardy! question is what is to kick the bucket. I had no idea the phrase went back that far, and naturally I'm reminded of the scene in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World where Jimmy Duranty sails right out there and literally kicks the bucket. So for this segment, yeah, you're way ahead of me, we're going to have some rapidly rotating records about buckets starting off with a great record by the Harris Brothers Texans. Casa Loma Orchestra, directed by Glenn Gray with their take on the Old Oaken Bucket, titled Hoboken Bucket. DECA 2281 was recorded in Los Angeles on August 15, 1938. Before that, the Get Happy Band, put together by pianist Porter Granger, with Junk Bucket Blues, a Porter Granger original. The soprano saxophonist on that July 17, 1925, Columbia 78, was Sidney Bechet. We started off with one of just eight sides, recorded by the Harris Brothers Texans, Gut Bucket Shuffle, recorded in Dallas, Texas in October of 1929. The Harris Brothers were Abe Harris, Lou Harris, and Meyer Isidore Harris, better known as Monk. I'm Glenn Robison, and I'm very pleased that you've chosen to spend this past hour with me listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. If you had half as much fun as I did, then I had twice as much fun as you. I hope you'll click in or tune in again next week. And as always, I thank you for your very kind attention.
0: Uh Uh-uh, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after these brief words from our sponsors.